How often do you think of your childhood and how your family influenced your path in life? Did you move towards or away from a direction because of the lives your parents led? Did you find yourself later on playing out a role that sprung from how you related with your parents or siblings? Well, of course you did, but how often does that get obscured in how you lived your life and how you do what you were known for later on? For me, I would likely not be here saying this to you if it were not for both my mother and father. My mom loves the written word, and from her I was introduced to the world of books and both the exterior and inner worlds those revealed. My dad loves detail and has incredible drive. These traits are some of what I picked up on early in life, and although neither my mom, dad, nor younger sister had any connection with radio and music like I do, which started as my avocation and eventually became my career, they all contributed in ways large and small to the direction I took and how I went about it. If it were not for my mom, I might not know the joy of immersing myself in a story as well as creating one. If it were not for my dad, I might not have stuck with it after failing to get a gig the first two tries before finally getting on staff at my college radio station. And if it were not for my sister, I might not have known how to approach being a mentor to DJs just starting out. For Jonathan Wilson and Bella White, family figures prominently not only in their lives behind the scenes, but also in the musical paths both chose early on. It should come as no surprise that as a boy in rural North Carolina, celebrated producer and artist Jonathan Wilson played in a family band. Or that rising star Bella White's father played in old-time and bluegrass bands in Calgary, Canada when she was growing up. What may seem much more novel is that the common thread between their two experiences separated by decades of time and thousands of miles, is also roots music like country and bluegrass. For Bella White, roots music like bluegrass is easily identifiable in her sound. For Jonathan Wilson, that foundation is not nearly as obvious. But as you will hear in our conversations, their love of music began with their shared background in acoustic roots music in places far beyond the limelight of Nashville or Los Angeles, where their paths eventually led. Ella White brought on Jonathan Wilson to produce her second and latest album, Among Other Things, which opens with the song you're hearing now, The Way I Oughta Go, while Jonathan's latest album, Eat the Worm, takes off into decidedly psychedelic territory. I spoke with Bella White after her debut performance at Merlefest last spring, which followed her debut on the Grand Ole Opry, while Jonathan Wilson spoke with me recently by video call from his studio in Topanga Canyon, California. Coming up, we get to hear more music from both artists, as well as conversations which touch on everything from Jonathan's wife using AI and creating his latest music videos, to Bella White's intentional honesty and vulnerability in her songwriting, and much more. I'm Joe Kendrick, welcoming you to our episode on Jonathan Wilson and Bella White on Southern Songs and Stories. Tennessee, I did 
Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. Jonathan Wilson now has five albums to his credit, each with its own direction. From the loopy, widescreen feel of his new album, Eat the Worm, which includes this song, Charlie Parker, to the country flavor of his previous album, Dixie Blur, to his intimate, ethereal debut, Gentle Spirit, Wilson has continually pushed the envelope of his creative abilities. While you may not be familiar with his solo records, you've likely heard his work in the many albums he has produced and collaborated on, ranging from Billy Strings, Margot Price, Angel Olsen, and Father John Misty. Or perhaps you've seen him play live in Roger Waters' band, where he is guitarist and musical director. He's even a luthier, having built at least 100 guitars from his recollection. You could safely say that Jonathan Wilson is living his best life. He describes the process of making Eat the Worm as freeing and exciting, and there are many piano-driven melodies that sprung directly from sessions with Father John Misty, which preceded it. I asked him about that process and about why he named two songs after the musicians Joe Bonamassa and Charlie Parker. Definitely stream of consciousness, um, you know, uh, is involved. So, you know, in something like that, if... If an uh, idea comes to mind, you know, um, maybe for like a chorus of a song or a title or, you know, uh, something that could be sort of like a jumping off point, like to begin the story. Um, because for, at least for me, like I don't have a concept necessarily, um, you know, thought up um, in advance. And it's not something that for me that, that I'm particularly able to premeditate. So some, so somehow during the um, the uh, exploration, you know, of that um, idea, then I'm, you know, uh, you gain the confidence to be like, yeah, this, I think this song is called Charlie Parker, or, or and so, and that, and, and so, and 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 like that one is sort of like a, you know, fictional um, fever dream where I, it's just weird stuff that you know somehow um, I decided to set the song in you know 1980s Boston, but then somehow I touch. Uh, 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 elbows with a with a guy who's currently on um, SNL and you know just weird little things like that that are kind of just um, entertaining just and and just that are just like um sort of like a sing talking style um, on this album and uh, sort of you know so that's kind of part of the part of the character and so yeah tell us about the video to Charlie Parker because your wife made this it's a it's a story too it's on its own, of its own how that video got made and the video itself is just stunning oh thank you yes she started experimenting uh, uh, early with AI um, animation and uh, funnily uh, enough she has to go back to sort of like an earlier uh, iteration like to get the vintage vibe like the cool vintage uh, AI which is 
<laughs> which is a trip. Um, but, but anyway, yeah, so she has um, created thus far maybe five songs, kind of in the same style, super psychedelic. Talking about place in that song, Charlie Parker. Yeah. I, does that also refer back to North Carolina? Am I right? Yeah, it does. One of the last, one of the later verses talks about Kitty Hawk, like the first in flight and stuff. Yeah. Basically like the Tar Heel State, man. <laughs> do you consider North Carolina home? Or I do because um, when I go home, it's like everyone is from there. My parents, 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 and uncles and aunts on both sides. Everyone has been there forever. And um, particularly up around in there, you know, and uh, so my dad and my grandmother um, uh, prior has ha have done lots of lots of lots of like the genealogy and, and they have found that we're all from North Carolina from just long ago, um, you know. So anyway, um, you know, in, in like that regard, yeah, it's, it's it certainly is uh, home. And um, but I've you know, um, at this point, I've been here, you know, uh, since 2005. And then prior to that, I was here from 97 to 2000 or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of feels like I'm basically kind of a Cali guy. So, but yeah. It, well, you know, it's it's a path that many great artists have followed, quite honestly. North Carolina has produced a lot of names that have gone on to to shine and their their star shines elsewhere, you know. Just think of Don Gibson and Earl Scruggs and everyone. So Absolutely. I think the uh, the real takeaway for me, though, is how much your upbringing, how much that informed your music and how you were sort of, what, rhythm section you or anything in those bands that you played with your dad and his contemporaries. So it seemed to really hone your skills in a way that a lot of people might not realize is in there. Right. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I can agree with that. There's a certain amount of um, rhythmic dexterity and style and, like, steez and stuff that was sort of, like, apparent in that part of the world, you know, uh, de definitely in, you know, as it, as it pertains, as it pertains, like, to bluegrass and country music and stuff like that, and definitely, like, the, um, definitely, like, the five-string banjo and stuff like that, there's a confidence and like a sort of sort of like a style that was i guess um embedded in you know in, in you know in that stuff and um you know and i think it's got to do it's got to do with like your feel it's, it's got to do with like basically like the timing and you know i feel like part of my success or, or or what gets me um or what has gotten me to where i'm at has a lot to do with my time and and um my feel and so that i think does come from that comes from from the home state and from just the vibes around there. Well, my dad was born in Lynchburg, Virginia, if we're starting from the very beginning, and he grew up in the southeast, kind of moving around. He lived in North Carolina for a little bit and kind of different parts of the southeast. And um, my mom is from Canada, and she was living in Richmond, and they met in Richmond and fell in love, and then they moved back to Canada together, and then I ended up being raised in Calgary, Alberta. Okay. Yeah. And had bluegrass type music around when you were growing up? Oh yeah, in a big yeah. way. My dad was always in different bands. He was in a band called Widowmaker. He was in a band called the Hayloft Romeos. He was in a bunch of different bands and then he had his own his own project too. And he played like a lot of old time and bluegrass and yeah, very exposed to it. Hmm. You started playing at a really young age as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I picked up 
the guitar in a real way for the first time when I was like eight or nine. Mm -hmm. And then I got more serious about it in my preteen years. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Among other things, it's produced by Jonathan Wilson, yeah. who uh, grew up largely in North Carolina. Yeah, he's a North Carolina uh, boy. Things have gone very well for Jonathan Wilson. Yes, that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, What's it like working with him? It's amazing. He's such a creative person, and he's such a kind person. And those things together, just like make making music together, a really special thing. He's very um, like nurturing to his craft, but also is like super down to like kind of like step outside of his box and my box and you know like find this really nice common ground to create in yeah it's really special when you were making the record how much you know what was his role as far as you know were the songs all finished before you went into the studio i know um, you had some other players in there too yeah we had a lot of players on this record um not all the songs were finished. I wrote one of them in the studio, the title track, among other things. And then some of them I kind of was just like tying up loose ends on. But the songs were very much a blank canvas when I took them into the studio. I, I didn't have a, like I knew the kind of theme and the, the vibe, if you will, that I mm -hmm. wanted to kind of lean into. But I was very open and I think that Jonathan played a major hand in kind of creating that arc for the album and the story of the sound. You know, he he was very much like having ideas of like how to bring things to life and he kind of could facilitate that in ways that you know me coming from like a st more string band kind of sound there was like so much possibility that I wasn't even really thinking about like timpani like there's timpani on the album mm -hmm. and you know some like synths and stuff that I wouldn't have really thought to to put there but he just has such a good ear for that he knows how to fill in all the little crevices and he knows where to leave space too yeah and there was one of your quotes that I found interesting where you talked about these songs and con contrasted uh, them to your first album as, um, I'm not sure how you put it, but it was as how you were taking them, uh, looking them at them in a different, outside of the style that you had imagined at first, perhaps. Yeah. Can, can you explain that? Yeah, I mean, these songs, it's like, it is different than my first album. My first album is very much a kind of bluegrass country album, or at least... That's how I think it's been received, and you know it's a, it's a four-piece string band, and, and this album has got a much larger sound in different ways. Like, I think that throughout the pandemic, when I wrote all these songs, I wasn't playing with my you know bluegrass people, and that's like so much of what bluegrass is to me is you know sitting around and picking tunes. And mm -hmm. since I wasn't doing that, I think the way that I was writing was kind of influenced by that, and I was writing more from like an introspective personal place and so then when I had these songs I just kind of knew that they weren't really going to be that way I knew that they they wanted more than what I think that that kind of string band sound could offer them and so it felt like just like looking at the same person writing the same songs but looking at it from another angle and kind of allowing ourselves to like open the doors a little bit to to more to more sound she came in just a just an absolute just uh, just extreme talent you know she's i mean she's she can sing wow you know and um yeah. and so she's she came in as sort of like a wonder kind um and is def, def, definitely has the bluegrass chops like big time so um that was just like wow you know and um as far as like the timing and the performance and the pitch and, and stuff, it's just all there. And so you're just like, wow, this is, this is, you know, uh, this is like fun. So that was, that was the beginning of it. And then, uh, like for us to be able to, to explore and like to try p 
possibly like some sounds that she um, had not done yet, you know, um, you know, like involving like some drums and bass and stuff and, and not as um, stripped back as like the um, earlier stuff. I mean, j just to like explore that was, you know, I mean, that was a gas, man. So that, you know, those are the, um, <clears throat> the um, albums that are just like, those are the times that it does not, it's basically um, not a job. It's, 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 it's basically, it's just um, a privilege, so. I think my goal when I'm writing songs is to just kind of reach people and, and connect with people. And I think that for me, my songwriting is very personal. I'm very vulnerable, I guess, in my songs. I try to be really honest. And I think that my goal is just that people who do hear the music feel like they're hearing someone that they can relate to. And, you know, I, I want people to feel feel cared for when they listen to music and feel like there's someone that can, you know, understand them and share that those feelings. So I wouldn't say I have much of a goal other than to just kind of like spread the communal love and sensitivity. Mm. <laughs> An excerpt of Jonathan Wilson's The Village is Dead, a song in which he wanted to have, as he was quoted in another interview, soaring disco streams and a lot of tempo. A song which stands in contrast to Bella White's Break My Heart from Among Other Things, which preceded it, featuring Jonathan Wilson on drums and guitar. After Jonathan told me that he considered himself to be a North Carolinian still, I went out on a limb and halfway jokingly pitched to him the idea of a Jonathan Wilson festival somewhere in his home state. Yeah, that sounds awesome, actually. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe at uh, what's the place that 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 my dad and his band used to play? It's called Green Acres Music Hall. Oh yeah, Green Acres. Um, is it there still? Green, Green Acres. The the place is, but it's not been a venue in twenty years. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All the old haunts, you know, between Rutherford County and Charlotte. Yeah. You know, you just don't think of this area as a musical hotbed necessarily. Yeah. Um, but living here and knowing people, yeah, uh, people that, you know, just going back to playing with Benji Hughes and Muscadine and all of the people that your contemporaries in Charlotte at that time that have gone on, you know, like basically um, Avid Brothers were a brand new thing yeah. back then too. That's exactly right. Yeah. And like... And one of one of my seminal things I did to figure out like the studio stuff is I figured out that Charlotte had um, it was called Studio East at the time, but it was it, it was built by um, Arthur Smith it was an early um, eight track spot. It, I think that place was went into business around probably like 65 or 63 or something. So it was the perfect spot, and it was big, and it, and and um like like all the stuff in the back was amazing, and all the old mics and gear, and and like in the books and the tech had you know had all the, um, you know, like all the brochures back there from all the old equipment and and the manuals, and so that's the sh you know like me, I basically basically um came upon that like at age nineteen, and was just a sponge to all that and. Back in the back of there were the tapes that were done there. So there was like some Johnny Cash done there. There was some James Brown done there at, at, at some point. Because um, Arthur was kind of a big deal, you know. Um, and yeah. he was sort of like our version of like a Nashville guy or so, you know, something like that. So basically to, to like come upon that was sort of like a stroke of luck, you know. So, yeah. so um, And so like, so like me, I basically made friends with the owners as fast as I could. And then I like convinced him to like, for uh, basically um, like to be his um, engineer. Then he figured out, oh, this guy's a, a um, one man band. And so, cause they had a business doing um, karaoke songs with a company based out of New Jersey. And you used to go into a store and you would buy like a compact disc that was, um, that was um, karaoke. And so those were all done by somebody. So this, <laughs> so this place had a contract with those guys. So basically, um, I convinced the guy, like you know, at age nineteen, to be his uh, intern, his uh, uh, engineer, his one man band, and like the studio vampire. So <laughs> he didn't know what kind of great deal he was getting. I bet. <laughs> now that sounds like maybe did your dad have experience with Arthur Smith or no um but um that was just a fluke where like I did the research and figured out well there's a studio called um Reflections which did some um REM and a few bits and bobs and stuff like that I think a lot of work was done there by that producer Don Dixon and you know so things like that so you know there were only a few things like that like a few ties to uh, to um like the bigger kind of like the business like the bigger business and like yeah. one of the guys at um reflections in charlotte had made like the early tracks with um hootie and the blowfish and stuff like that so so it was all kind of exploding around that time yeah there's all sorts of connections in north carolina with great music prominent artists from throughout the 20th century till the current day yeah but it just doesn't 
get associated as a music first state. Yeah, but I mean, if you look down the list, especially pertaining to jazz, there's, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, from Coltrane to Monk to um, Nina, you know, mm -hmm. it goes on and on and on. So, yeah, it's a big deal. Speaking of North Carolina, Reese Palmer calls Durham, North Carolina home, and her episode is coming soon here on Southern Songs and Stories. I spoke with Reese after her performance at the Earl Scruggs Music Festival over Labor Day weekend 2023. Also on deck are episodes based on interviews from the recent IBMA convention with Pete Wernick, Stacy Chandler of No Depression, and Steve Mojan and Ben Wright, plus conversations with the band Stillhouse Junkies, Nora Jane Struthers and Joe Overton, and Kev Russell of Shiny Ribs, which were from their time at the Fall Albino Skunk Music Festival. Speaking of North Carolina's musical past, Jonathan Wilson mentioned his connection with Green Acres Music Hall, and there are four episodes in this podcast series focusing on the rich history and myriad stories from that venue, which you can find on podcast platforms in a device near you. Thanks for listening. Could you help us spread the word about this series? Step one, just follow us on your podcast platform of choice, where at step two, it will only take a moment to give us a top rating, which is incredibly helpful in raising the profile of this series and our guest artists. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it.